Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins. For your perfect workspace, living space or hideaway, timberliving.ie. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1. Now, this time uh, of year, the end of an old year and the start of a new one, can be a time when people reflect on grief and the people in their lives who are no longer there. And one person who was writing uh, about this exactly last week was the author and journalist Liam Collins, who joins me now. Good morning, Liam. Good morning, Brendan. And Liam, you wrote a beautiful piece uh, about, I suppose, grief and what ifs. And, And the grief in your case is now... 24 years old Eva's anniversary was on Thursday that's I, right I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so take me back then to it's Christmas 1998 yeah well what happened was um, Helen my wife was pregnant with our fourth child and she got into uh, difficulties uh, before Christmas uh, of that year and um, I was at home minding we had three girls three uh great girls but they uh, she Helen spent most of the time coming up to Christmas uh, in Hollis Street Hospital um, and I think uh, it was obviously uh, tough for for both of us you know we were she was struggling uh, with uh, with her pregnancy and I was uh, I suppose struggling with the family and just I, I, I recall this is event when we put up the Christmas tree and um, the kids loved this big, tall Christmas tree. And one night I was sitting down having a glass of wine after they were all gone to bed and there was a bang. And I didn't know what happened, but the angel had fallen off the top of the Christmas tree. And it gave me this feeling of, um, I suppose, dread that, you know, something was going to happen. And... uh, Lo and behold, Helen got out for Christmas, but uh, she had to go back into Hollis Street afterwards. And uh, in January, uh, she lost uh, she lost the child, uh, Eva, and she was stillborn. Yeah. Okay. So, um, are you you're speaking today on behalf of yourself and Helen. I Absolutely. Know, and with, with, yes. With Helen's yes. full blessing yes. and everything. Um. So. Helen Helen uh, wrote about it at the time. So 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 she was brought in. Uh, take us through that, if you don't mind. Then they 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 couldn't find the baby's heartbeat. No, she um, she wrote about it. Um, she was brought in, but she was in hospital kind of uh, for a week or so. And one day they came. A young nurse came to check uh, on her, and she couldn't find the heartbeat. And so. She was taken down. Um, the, the the nurse kind of made excuses and said maybe the machine is not working properly because I suppose she was also a student nurse. She was kind of distressed herself. Uh, they went down to uh, the doctor and um, they did a proper scan. And the doctor said to her, uh, look at the monitor here. You'll actually, your baby is going to die in the next couple of seconds and you'll actually see this happening and and she did and uh, it was a very traumatic thing for yeah. any mother to go through um, and we then um, 
you know, it, it was at the time stillbirth was recognised, but it was kind of uh, people didn't really want to talk about it. And um, so, so the, the the baby died then, but Helen still had to go through. She the had birth to go then. through the birth, yeah. And I got a call to come into Hollis Street. I I wasn't told uh, that the baby had died, but uh, I was told to get someone to bring me in. So I kind of had uh, an idea. And so, yeah, we went through the birth, or Helen went through the birth that night, but I I was present. And it was, it was a very traumatic kind of night. It wasn't an easy birth. And, uh, but knowing that uh, we were having a, a child who would be born dead, I suppose... It gave a terrible, eerie feeling to the whole proceedings. Yeah. And um, actually, Eva was so beautiful when she was born that Helen couldn't believe that she actually was dead. She asked the the uh, the midwife, you know, surely, surely there's some mistake here. She's she looks alive. And um, uh, it was just the, the, the whole process was handled very well from the hospital point of view. But it was also a very difficult uh, experience. And did you spend some time with Aoife then? Did you hold her? Yes, we did. We did. And uh, we stayed a couple of hours and then uh, they uh, decided to take the baby away and they asked could they do an, an autopsy and... Uh, we said, yeah, oh, absolutely. If if that's, you know, something that you need to do, um, of course. So, obviously, it's not that long ago in one way, but it is a different time in another way. Were people, staff and everything, were they as sensitive around all of this as they would be now, do you think? Or were they different times slightly? Yeah, no, they, they, they were sensitive. Yeah. But I think... Um, you were given an option, really. Uh, do you want to just walk out the door and leave us and we'll leave the baby with us and we'll handle things? Uh, or do you want to uh, do you want to have a, f- a funeral? So it was it was an option that we didn't even think about. You know, we said, of course, we want to uh, give the baby um, a proper funeral. And so. Eva was put in a small little white coffin that I could... There was a little service in the oratory the following day and um, I think then we were given even a little white coffin and we literally carried her out the front door of of Hollis Street and, and home and we had a few friends and family around and uh, our three children at the time... Uh, How old were the other kids at the time? They were uh, seven, six and uh, three, I think, and uh, Mia, Hannah and Georgia. And they they were fascinated in a way, as kids are, you know, they yeah. they treated her like a, a doll, you know, in the when she was at home that night. And did you talk to people about this much you say you had those I, friends in and everything yeah I had the friends in but I think we were we were busy really you know getting things done and looking after the children and then we had a funeral in in uh, we drove the following day out to Glasnevin and 
had a funeral and she was buried in the angel's plot. So I don't think at the time I talked very much about it. You know, it wasn't, um, I suppose, given my my job as a reporter, I was kind of being a bit manly about it, you know, and trying to, uh, you know, stiff up her lip kind of um, behaviour. Whereas Helen was heartbroken and was, was very upset and, you know, um, so I felt somebody had to hold it together. I'm not, yeah, that's not yeah, but in I any think kind the, of... The men uh, often do yeah, that in these um, situations. It's not, they? you yeah. know, of course, uh, Helen was functioning, but she was really, um, it affected her very badly at the time. And was Helen able to talk to people about it or was it something that I think women she talked was, to each other She would about? be very close to her sister, her own sisters. And yes, she did talk to them and uh, they they were, they came and, um, you know, visited her and, and helped her. And her mother was alive at the time. And so, you know, the, her family did rally round uh, very much so, yes. And people then outside of the family and obviously... Everybody would have known Helen was having a baby. Neighbours, colleagues, etc., acquaintances. Did people ever mention it to you or did people kind of avoid it, do you think? Well, there was a mixture, you know. Some people did. Yeah, they would because... I mean, I would have been going up and down to the school with the uh, with the children, the national school. So all the mothers would have known, you know. So, and indeed it transpired later that... um, some of those people had had stillbirths themselves. So, you know, but people react. It's like people's reaction, I think, to to a death. You know, some people are... You're there for people at the time and then, you know, your own life kicks in. And sometimes a distance develops because you feel you didn't do enough, if mm. you know what I mean. And that then you don't like to talk, to go back to the person at all. Yeah, yeah. So people can be feel a bit awkward. They can. Yeah, I think yeah. they can. And I think some people did. I think you, you get a clarity at these times as well about the people you want around you and you don't want around you, the people you yes, can talk to yeah. and not well, talk I, to. I, I, yeah, I think that, um, you know, everybody deals with situations in their own way. And, you know, I think later on we found out, you know, just how how other people had had no kind of experience of a funeral or they didn't feel that they had actually completed uh, the birth as if the baby was taken from them and that was the end of it. But that was obviously a, a, some kind of default option that was given to people. It was, oh yeah, it was given yeah, to you people. Could, you could, like forget about time. it and, and walk away. Yes, and some people felt that was the right thing to do, you know, that it... It, because the baby hadn't been born and lived, it wasn't really um, uh, a proper child, if you like. Yeah. Now, we we didn't feel like that. And uh, obviously, we, you know, wanted to uh, treat the birth as a real birth and as, as a real and even as a real person who was part of our lives, even and though who lived she, who and lived. who was loved. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And then you and Helen afterwards, did you talk a lot about it in the time? I suppose we did, but we talked about it in terms of, you know, getting through. You know, I I don't think we, I don't think I fully 
disgusted. You know, I was being, as I say, I was being male about it. And, you know, I went back to work pretty quickly. I I took on, you know, jobs. I People in where I worked in the, the Sunday Independent were very sympathetic. But, you know... After the 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 prof, you know the the really sorry for what happened, it was well you know come on there's there's yeah. a bit of work to be done here and we've a, there's a job to do and I felt the same way yeah so I suppose I think it can be helpful yeah, too probably to, can it, it? Yeah. I think it is it's you throw yourself back into work and into life and um it 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 lessens the thinking about it you've got something else to do something else to occupy you. And I felt that was the right thing to do at the time. And I probably, looking back, you know, might have been uh, a bit insensitive in not talking about it a bit more and, uh, you know, discussing it with Helen. You know, although I was trying to help her get on with life, it that was more or less what I was saying to her. You know, it's 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 really time now. We've do, gone through this and yeah. let's um, uh, let's move on a bit, if you like. And she'd only told me recently, you know, that Peter Boylan, before she left Hollistry, sat her uh, down beside her on the bed and she was crying. And he said, she said, when is this going to stop? And he said to her, you know, uh, you'll get up in the morning, you'll think of Eva, you'll go think of her during the day, you'll think of her uh, at night. Uh, but over time, one morning you will wake up and you won't think of her. But you will later in the day or you will that night. And I think that was part of the process. But it was a long, drawn-out process and it it wasn't easy for her. I, sometimes as well, do couples kind of if they're dealing with things in slightly different ways, they kind of go their own way on it for a while. I think, I think that is true. We've, uh, I think most of us have seen people who couples who have, have, have dealt with tragedy in, in different ways. And it sometimes can um, break them apart. Unfortunately, it's, it's such a big event in people's lives, tragedy and the death of a child, you know, is one of the, I suppose, one of the major traumas that families go through mm. and couples. Now, a year on, Helen decided to write a piece and 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 you, you and I both know from people doing this kind of thing down the years and everything, that's a much bigger decision than, than anyone imagines. It, it is, it's, And yes. it's a tricky one. Yes. Um uh, Helen came to me eventually, I suppose, around uh, August or, or September and uh, said if she wrote a piece about her experience, um, would the Sunday Independent publish it? And I have to say, I was a bit ambivalent as well about her doing it. Um, I was a I was a reporter. The Sunday Independent was a very kind of confessional paper at the time. You know, people um, people wrote about themselves, but this was uh, I felt a little bit different, um, and I wasn't sure. But I sat myself and Helen discussed it, and I said to her, "Look, if if it helps you get through this process, 
uh, of course, uh, write it and I'll see. So I went to Anne Harris and asked her, would she be publish it if it was done? And she said she would, of course, um, uh, if it was, uh, you know, a publishable piece. And so Helen sat down and wrote it and kind of, I suppose, like a lot of honest pieces, it was written kind of very quickly and um, didn't need any great revision or anything like that. And uh, and was helpful to Helen? I think it was the turning point for her. Um, you know, it, it was as if she had, it, you know, come out of uh, of a tunnel of grief when she had written it and uh, and when it was published and then a huge reaction as well there was i mean that was astonishing as well the amount of people who uh, poured out their stories um because it hadn't i don't know i suppose people had written about stillbirth before but i don't think in such a personal way i hadn't certainly seen something done like that and uh, the reaction was was phenomenal people um recalling how they had um how they had dealt with it differently in the past i'm talking about back in the 60s 70s and where it wasn't spoken about it wasn't in a, it didn't really happen they were told and yet this was still somewhere deep inside uh, you know people's psyche and uh, they wanted to express it. We got letters, phone calls. You know, um, I think it it just hit the nerve for people who had had that experience. Yeah, I even wonder how far we've come. Actually, in the intervening twenty four years, there's still a kind of probably a bit of a silence I around it. Do I did I think it's it's like a lot of things. Unless it happens to you yourself, mm. you do. Wonder how how can you deal with that? You know how how uh, what is the correct way? And um, for some people, you know, avoidance is a way of of um, yeah. of they they don't want to maybe hurt you or upset you any further than you have been. What happens then as time goes on? So you start living with it. You have to, and and there's three yes. other kids there, but but you don't forget. I presume no, you don't, and you don't forget, and. I think we had made up our minds that was the end of, of our family, you know, and if Eva had w- been born, it would have been four, four children. And looking back as well, one of the saddest, I, I, you know, I have to say there isn't a hierarchy of grief, mm-hmm. but we had three children. I mean, after Helen wrote the piece, we got very heartbreaking um, letters from people who... This was as had a stillbirth on their first child and never subsequently were able to have children. And so that to me was a consolation to have, you know, that we already had three girls. And probably uh, if we had had a fourth, that would have been the end of our family. And as it happened, then we had uh, another uh, child, Hugo, who's now 21. And um, so we had a boy and it it changed the dynamic of the family completely, really. So, you know, out of out of tragedy, sometimes comes joy as well. And do you wonder about her? I do. Yeah, of course. And I think around this time of the year, maybe it's the darkness or or, you know, the 
everybody I think you know I'm not I love going to graveyards um, which is a strange a strange feeling I think you get there's a great sense of peace and uh, solitude in a lot of graveyards and so I often wander up to Glasnevin or if I was passing Dean's Grange I might go in and spend a half an hour wandering among the headstones it sounds a bit macabre but uh, you know when you see the names of people you knew that you didn't even know were were buried there and uh, or people you've heard of and it's one of those uh, things but um, but there are people who got uh, in most cases in to, most, li- to live out their, their potential and, yes, and have a life they and, did and exactly th- th- you, like you must wonder who would she have been? I think it. We do, and uh, what should what? W- w- how she would have turned out, and I think in families as well. You know, you have four children or three girls. You raise them the same way, send them to the same schools, and they all turn Somehow, out completely yeah. different. Yeah. And that's the bizarre thing about families. Most families, you think that uh, you know there's going to be. Um, there is a pattern, but there isn't. So, yes, I, I do think at, uh, around this time of the year, quite often, when people do visit graveyards, you know, it's about what might have been and uh, what possibilities she might have had. And does Eva have a grave? She does. She's in the Angels plot in Glasnevin and there's uh, there's two or three other children buried in the same plot. It's uh, It's a place to go, you know, where... There's this forest of headstones and they're all the same. And then people leave trinkets and teddy bears and, uh, you know, and everybody, yeah. it's not, that's not my way, but yeah. everybody deals with things in their own way. And, you know, uh, you so see... People don't forget. They no, don't ever no, forget. And, yeah. No, and I think it is, it's, it's great f- to remember people, no matter who they were or what they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go to a mass... As well. We do, yeah. There's a mass in uh, Francis Street, lovely church, and it's around Christmas time. For Now, I haven't been for a year or two, but um, for stillbirth, uh, stillbirths, Isans, I think, is the group. And um, it's very moving and people bring candles and it's, it's a commemoration, a collective commemoration. Are you religious? I... I think I'm not as religious as I should be. Uh, you know, when the children were younger and going to confession and communions and confirmations, we went through all that, and I went to Mass every Sunday. Now I'm afraid I I don't go as often, but I still like to go into uh, to churches and sit down and say a prayer, no matter where I am, yeah. um, at home or abroad. Um, I mean, I was in Westland Road Church the other Saturday evening and it's a fascinating place to walk around. And I think in a lot of the older churches, you do get a feeling of spirituality, you know, and I suppose then you wonder, is there is there anything (laughs) further? You know, but that's that's the big question. I don't think we we need to go into. No. So back on more solid ground then, you you mentioned, you alluded to this earlier and and you said it in that piece that um, as a journalist, and it can be helpful at times, the chip of ice in the soul and the ability in a way to stand back from things, yeah? Yeah, I think... I wonder about that, whether it's just me, you know. I mean, 
in a in a in our family, Helen would be the emotional one, and I would be far less emotional. And I don't know whether that's my personality, or the fact that I've been a reporter for you know the guts of fifty years, uh, and in that time, you know, as a journalist with. Uh, various newspapers, the Longford News, the Westmead Examiner and the Evening Herald. You know, I covered a fair amount of tragic events and uh, I knocked on people's doors, uh, you know, yeah. in the aftermath of tragedy. And looking I for, didn't looking do for looking the for a story and, and looking and for a photo and looking for yeah. people to talk. And sometimes you got run out of the place. And sometimes you were brought in, surprise, amazingly brought in and given a cup of tea and and told the story of someone's life. And it's always fascinated me the way uh, people deal with tragedy in that sense. Um, in the inner city, Dublin, for instance, you, you were welcomed almost because they felt someone was getting uh, recognition. And yeah. the same in rural Ireland. But if... <laughs> In middle class areas like my own, um, you could be told very, uh, very in strong terms very where to take yourself. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I always respected that as well or tried to respect it. But as a as a reporter, you know, you have a story to write. You have a deadline to meet. And so, yeah, there, I'm not sure you get your callous, but it can appear callous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're, when you approach it, because you could be standing around all day and uh, waiting for something to happen and passes by, see it, talking to people and maybe laughing and yeah. think, you know, that you have no feelings. But I think most uh, most journalists do have a feeling and you take away a feeling from all those those events. What, is, there, is there one that's impacted on you? I think the one I still think about, um, uh, you know, very, very often is happened um, back in Mount Shannon down in Clare when uh, Brendan O'Donnell killed Imelda, murdered Imelda Riney and her young son Liam, who was three at the time. And uh, he murdered a priest uh, nearby in air court, Father Joe Walsh. And... I was there for the whole week of that event and uh, it still stands out in my memory because uh, he was captured on a Saturday. So it was, I was working for the Sunday Independent at the time. So it was a very dramatic event. Um, a local guy, um, Declan White, who I knew from, uh, um, from Ratmines College, uh, where we had been together. Um, he called me at six o'clock in the morning and got me into the car and we drove around. Uh, at the time, Brendan O'Donnell had kidnapped a girl called Fiona Sampson and he had hijacked a car and the police helicopter was looking for him. And it was just early morning and there was a car burning by the shores of, of Loch Derg and this chase was on and her family were frantic and we met them on the road and we we went around looking for him and eventually um we came through this very dark wood into the sunlight and the guards had just uh, cornered him on on the road and as i jumped myself and Declan jumped out of the car there was gunshots going off 
which I thought were going in the opposite direction, but actually they were coming in our direction. But yeah. we we ran down the road and he had just been wrestled to the ground and he was a small, smallish man with a red beard and um, didn't look anything like a, a killer or yeah. a murderer. And it was just that dramatic moment. We actually tried to talk to him on the on the road and uh, Fiona Sampson was being taken away. Her feet were in ribbons where he had pulled her through hedges and ditches and uh, it was chaos for a few minutes and then reinforcements arrived and we were bundled away and um, later that night or that evening we, we walked into the woods where, where Imelda and Liam were buried and, and uh, the priest and it was just so eerie but it was very dramatic as well yeah. and you it know, was one of those stories that haunted people haunted, as well I think yeah, wasn't it, I for think, years afterwards yeah because yeah. it didn't seem to make any sense yeah. you know and uh, you know and we couldn't fathom it really but he had been loose in the woods and had a very disturbed upbringing and it all came yeah, together yeah, with such yeah. tragic, like that tragic is circumstances. That, that person who had no hope really. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, okay, uh, th- lots of texts in, Liam. Um, uh, one person had an early miscarriage 18 years ago gave my baby a non-binary name I use it across my passwords to keep their memory alive often think of what our family missed from their life giving birth to twins 16 months later was so joyous but I wept too for our first baby in those first few days very emotional and probably the cathartic point and I'm sure when Hugo was born as well that 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 Eva w- 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 that gave another Lisa yeah. life, yeah. Uh, but yeah. yes, and we 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 remembered her, and we still do. Yeah, yeah. I'm listening to this gentleman about the loss of his little daughter Eva. We lost our baby Dara, 24 years ago this year. Also, stillborn. I can empathise completely with him and his wife in what he is saying in their great loss too. I'm writing his little book about our little boy presently, and have a little poem written for him. That's from uh, Patricia. Um, the last line of your article, Liam, mentions people who cannot find their way out of the labyrinth of, of grief. Some people are broken by these things, aren't they? They are. And that is the, the saddest. Uh, you know, a, a good friend of ours, uh, Victor Robinson, died this year as well. He was, And, you know, it, that may have also triggered this thought about Eva and grief. And it's so hard for people who are left behind by by sudden death and mm. unexpected death. I mean, you know, both my parents died at great ages and so you're able to celebrate their yeah. lives. Yeah. And yeah. But I think it's when something happens with sudden, sudden... Uh, uh, yeah. The Look. emotion is just so hard to deal with and... You try, you know, you have to try and and get on with life. But uh, some people find it it so so difficult, and and you see it all the time in you know in in people that you know and people that you come across. Mm. But you just hope that everybody will find their find the way out and not forget, but at least try and get on with a little something of their lives. Yeah. Um, so you and Helen stuck together down the years right. anyway. And, yeah, and true thing, Helen. You're, in, you're into a different phase of life now. The two year off traveling the world oh, like two right. love birds I gather, yeah. Brendan. 
Yeah, I think, like a lot of people, um, I left school, went to work, and haven't stopped since, even though I've passed my my retirement date a couple of years ago. Uh, and I work because I, I, I like doing it still. And um, but during the lockdown and afterwards, you know, I had four children at home, and I said to myself, four adults. Mm-hmm. I said, if they're not leaving, I'm going to go and leave <laughs> the house to them, and they can they can run the place for a year. And so Helen said, well, if you're going, I'm coming with you. And as it happens, I used to uh, I used to follow them around the, the house saying 24 out the door, but that yeah. didn't have okay. any effect on them. 24 came uh, and passed for the three of them, three girls. But subsequently, two of them have have moved out. Hannah went to stay, live with friends. And my daughter, Georgia, just left for Australia like a lot of nurses. She had done a stint in the Matter Hospital and now she's gone to to work and live there for a year or more. I don't know. So anyway, um, we decided to Helen decided that if she was coming and she sold some some of her friends thought um, we must have won the lotto. But (laughs) (laughs) she's had to sell her car to do this trip. So we're going to Barbados for 12 weeks. Wow. I okay. know, I know. It sounds like you have to be a millionaire. Not 12 weeks in Sandy Lane, I'm assuming. No, yeah. no. It's definitely not Sandy Lane. It's uh, much more modest. But it's it's a nice island. I've been there before and people are fabulous. They're, they're, uh, they're like Irish people with a different skin colour. Yeah. And uh, they enjoy life. They're very friendly. You don't feel threatened in any way. So... That's the first leg and it's what Helen wanted to do. And the second leg is a bit more chaotic, which is what I want to do, is to uh, to fly to Istanbul and just stay there for a week or two and then come back through uh, through Europe, wander back uh, by bus and train and see where we stop. And OK, listen, there, there's an inspiration for every couple of a certain age and uh, head off and uh, get to know each other again. You'll get to know each other very well, <laughs> We will. OK, listen, Liam Collins, thank you very much for, for sharing all that. Thank and listen, you, anyone affected by this story can look for help and advice at rte.ie uh, forward slash uh, helplines. Thanks, Liam. We'll take a break. Text 51551. Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1.